Hey gang, welcome back for another episode of your favorite regenerative ag podcast, Ranching Reboot. I'm your host, Brian Alexander. You might know me on social media as Red Hills Rancher. This podcast is made possible with the generous support of people just like you through my Patreon page. Your support makes it all worth it. You can join the rest of my crazy, amazing patrons on patreon.com forward slash Red Hills Rancher. Check the show notes for a link. This episode of the podcast sponsored by Bobo Links from Blue Nest Beef. Bobo Links beef sticks are incredibly delicious, made with natural seasonings and slow cooked to perfection. They have the right blend of tang, smoke, and spice. I always have some close by for a protein boost when I'm too busy to stop for a meal. Bobo Links are gluten-free, soy-free, casein-free, and sugar-free, packed with 7 grams of protein and only 70 little calories per serving. So if you're looking for a snack that's both nutritious and delicious, give Bobo Links beef sticks from Blue Nest Beef a try. I know you'll love them as much as I do. Click the link in the show notes and use the code BOBOREBOOT for $10 off your first pack. Confession time. I have a very hard time eating. I'm a picky eater and it's been a struggle my whole life to fuel my body properly. When I got curious about nutrition, I asked my doctor about vitamins and that led to a conversation about where vitamins come from. He didn't know. And I realized I needed to make a change. So I started searching for a better source of high quality nutritional supplements to spend my hard earned dollars on. I reached out to several companies, and I'm proud to announce a partnership with a company I can stand behind. Introducing One Earth Health Grass-Fed Beef Organ Supplements. Organ meats are the most nutrient-dense foods we can eat and have been uniquely treasured by our ancestors. Organ meats are not only nutrient-dense, but they're also a great source of essential vitamins and minerals. The liver is packed with vitamin A, K, and E, while the heart is a great natural source of COQ10. The spleen contains four times the amount of iron as the liver, and the kidney is a great source of vitamin B complex. The pancreas supports gut health. I can't tell you how much better I feel since I started taking these supplements. When I don't take them, I have much less energy and focus. Just a few capsules every morning gives me everything my body needs to thrive. We are built to eat diverse diets that include whole animals and organ meats. We have lost our perspective on food and its purpose. Give yourself the gift of radical health. Give yourself One Earth Health grass-fed beef organ supplements. Visit www.oneearthhealth.com forward slash Brian Alexander or just click the link in the show notes. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Yeah, you sound great. How you doing, buddy? Good. Actually, there's a bit of an echo. Are you, uh, where are you at? I'm down in my basement. Uh, did I move? Oh, no, it'll be fine. As long as it, you know, as long as it'll be quiet down there, you'll be fine. Okay. Yeah. So about the quietest place on the farm I could find. Kids, kids away from kids. I, I understand that. Like, good away. you've never been to my place, but I'm down here in a basement too. Um, and the reason it doesn't echo because I've got sheets and blankets and clothes and foam all over the walls. So it did a lot to kind of deaden this place down. Otherwise, it was it needed a little work before I used it as a studio. We'll say that. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. So um, this is uh, a first episode we're doing in 2023. Um, 
tell tell me tell me how your 2022 turned out well uh it turned out pretty good with what we had but with what we had to go through but overall um i could uh definitely say it was it was a challenge uh we had a lot of uh drought issues definitely um we we did the numbers here the other day and and uh yeah we weren't quite like we had been in the past couple years but nothing to complain about i can imagine the stress that i feel trying to trying to make make sure my cows stay in the you know kind of correct nutrition over the winter with the drought um what what's that like what's that been like for you well uh buying in hay has been the biggest challenge for us uh with the drought uh we had a lot of of cows to feed more cows than we had in the previous years we've been expanding our herd the last couple years and uh buying hay has been the biggest thing that we've had to deal with and sourcing hay we've been uh looking for organic hay is what we were what we kind of stand behind is the organic alfalfa and we had to go to three different states to find what we needed uh we went to missouri nebraska and um, iowa usually people around here are sending alfalfa that way and uh now we're bringing it back it seemed like so uh i was really just glad to find some was was really what it came down to because i i knew we needed it and was not uh, didn't have selling cows in the plan uh getting rid of any cows just because of our markets we had uh so yeah the the uh alfalfa hay thing was definitely the biggest of course pasture challenges of you know trying to keep residue on the on the fields and the pastures when we had all the wind and the dust and you know um blowing everything everywhere so that was the other challenge we had but uh but on the customer side uh it was good we really had a good year on that on that on different foods we produce so um yeah yeah that um i remember i think it was back in the spring we came we came through for a one of our semi-regular shopping trips and you had a new product and i, I what are they eight ten ounce little coffee drinks uh yeah they're 11 ounces what the bottle is yeah yeah you want to you talking wanna, about yeah talk about your coffee drink yeah the uh the cold brew we're doing yeah uh we've been we've been talking other people have been talking to us about we you know you go to starbucks you buy this expensive coffee drink and but you need to make a coffee drink with raw cream in it or some kind of a you know a, a healthy dairy additive in it and so we we started looking around and found some good cold brew coffee and and started to do some testing and i don't know how many how many different test batches we we drank and it's like man i drank so that's more coffee than ever just doing all the uh testing and so we finally came up with it well we need a glass jar or a glass uh uh bottle 
And so we found that and then we got to like, man, this, this stuff, this stuff, we get a lot of, of uh, cost in it. And it ended up, we uh, were like, well, you start comparing it to anything else for a specialty drink and, and it's not that, that uh, expensive. So yeah, that's been a fun product and a product that uh, has been really selling well. Okay. Hold up. It's not just a cold brew coffee drink with raw heavy cream in it. It's got what, what else is having maple? Syrup? Oh, it's got maple syrup. It's got some, some, uh, uh, homemade vanilla, uh, organic vanilla. And it's got the, the cream in it, of course. And, uh, it, if there's any other, other ingredients in there, but yeah, it's all the, no additives, no preservatives, no nothing. So when, when the shelf life, you know, it's got a shorter shelf life than what you'd buy at a convenience store, but Hey, please more for us. If it doesn't sell. I volunteer as tribute. Next time you're developing uh, coffee flavors, I, I will happily come up and do all the taste testing you need. That seems like it's something that's right. <laughs> in the house. Yeah. Yeah, no, we, we, we usually have, uh, the kids and everybody are like, uh, grabbing it as, as soon as it gets outdated or something. If there's some that does get outdated, then, then we all have our pecking order. Right on. I, I uh, I, I still think, I still think you could maybe mark that up and you'd still move a lot of units, man. That's good stuff. And there's nothing else like it anywhere. That's right. That's right. That's the thing that we, we were like, you can't, you can't get a, a ready-made product with a raw grass-fed dairy additive in it anywhere. And uh, it's like, the more we can value add, the better is kind of what our trend has been. Awesome. So let's, um, let's kind of circle back to your winter feed. And I know that you know, with the drought and I know feed costs are expensive and I imagine it's, um, we don't need to talk about it. Let's talk about your fodder system. Cause that's, that's one of the ways sure. it really helps you kind of save on that front, isn't it? Yeah. The, the fodder system has been very helpful. Most, mostly for winter production. I mean, it does help on the, on less hay, but it, it's, it works really well to, uh, add with the hay, program we have for the winter uh through the through the summer of course we don't do the fodder but through the winter is when we we start it up and it it grows well when it's cold um we have a room that's uh insulated and we have uh growing trays like a, a big rack system where where it's all indoors and it really it the the benefit that that really helps is the the energy for milk production on the dairy farm coupled with we we mix it with the with the alfalfa with the dry alfalfa and it's like inoculating the alfalfa back back with all the wet uh moisture that comes out of the fodder as it as it mixes and grinds and so that really helps the cows consume the alfalfa better but it also makes makes the uh the the fodder more usable as it's mixed together with the hay so uh you're 
what what the idea is 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 turning the starch from the seed into a sugar which is very highly available to the cow's rumen and the idea uh that i like to say is is you you trade you trade a seed for a plant and you get all that root system uh producing lots of 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 sugars that the cows can really absorb well and as far as costs i mean there's there's costs in it there's you know there's labor in it to take care of it but you just get so much more out of out of seed and with having a or uh organic grass-fed dairy it works well with that program so you know with us, with us milking milking grass fed cows throughout the year, it it it's one of those I call it a must to to get through the winter, uh, and and keeping the milk production going. Um, but yeah, this just this past fall, we actually uh, almost doubled the system. So we we bought in another system and added it to the original system we've had for. I think it's been eight years now. So we've added we've added the the system, uh, and it's been really helpful, uh, especially this year. More cows, uh, availability of hay has been a little lower, and so it's been a really a blessing in disguise to find that new system. And we didn't have to uh, add on to the room. We just went up. Uh, we bought a a lift, a man lift, where we can get up there and and uh, do all the the work up in a convenient manner, and so we're just harvesting a lot more every day. I remember you told me that that you'd pretty much doubled it, and the last time I was up at your place, held it, it was a couple months ago. It's been since uh, it's been since Gail's field school that I was there. I don't think okay. you were around. Um, anyway. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see a new building over there where your fodder system was, and that explains it. I could, I could just see you guys cruising around there on like a little scissor lift, going up and down to, yeah. to check the fodder. Can you, can you kind of describe like how that set up and how that works for folks, uh, for the folks that are listening? Sure. Well, the idea is that uh, you take a seed, you soak it for a, uh, about twelve to twenty-four hours in in water. So there's there's no there's no nutrients there's no soil involved. So a lot of people uh, think of it as a hydrobon hydroponic system. Well, this has no no uh, nutrients going in. So it's not like any artificial nutrients or anything. It's just the seed and water is all it is, and it's just letting letting the water sprout the seed and then creating a feed source for the cows. So. It starts in a in a just a five gallon bucket and uh, mix mix a little bit of peroxide in it with water and let it set overnight and then uh, the rack system is about fifteen feet long and there's there's uh, twelve inches between every tray so there's a there's a tray every tray is ten inches wide and then every twelve inches there's another layer of trays. So uh, there's 10, the, the 10 inches by 15 foot 
long trays hold about uh, 10 pounds of dry seed. And so one bucket, one five gallon bucket of seed will, will, will uh, seed two trays. So 20 pounds in a bucket equals two trays. And so the, the trays are, are irrigated every four hours, which uh, continue the cycle, you know, on a, on a timer every four hours, it waters it for two minutes. And so from start to finish takes eight days. So uh, there's nothing but water every four hours going uh, and irrigating this, these trays. And the way that irrigation works at the end of the, at the, the far end of the system, there's a irrigation line, which will just kind of flood irrigate it for two minutes and it'll gently flow throughout the tray. The tray's on a, on a, on a slope, just a slight slope. And it, it takes the water down the end. And if there's any, it drains off. There's some systems that will util, uh, reuse the water through a filter system. This one does not. Uh, there's a little bit that, that runs off of it, but uh, that just goes out outside. Um, but the system itself um, will do it all, all the watering automatically. And then the manual labor is taking the, the harvest, the, the fodder off of the trays and then washing them down and, and putting the wet soaked seed in the buckets on the trays every day. So it's just a continual cycle every day and, uh, it, it just becomes a big old mat. It's, it's, it's like a two inch deep root system, just completely dense mat, like a carpet. And then you got a, like a four, four inch uh, green growth on top. And, and the green growth on top, there's not a whole lot of, of weight there. Most of your weight is in your root system. And that's where most of the nutrients are. I mean, the green growth on top will of course add add nutrients as well but the bulk of the of the feed is in the roots so um you ever weigh yeah, it we yeah yeah our our mixer wagon which we dump it into after we harvest it is has scales on it and so we're we're harvesting about 1300 pounds every day is what we're harvesting so uh there's about 220 pounds of dry seed going on on and yeah, so there's about six times as much coming off as going on in an eight-day cycle. So that's the number I wanted. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's usually what what I get asked a lot is is how much more do you get? Well, there's a lot of nutritionists that will argue that that well the uh, the weight is just water. Well, technically technically it is just moisture, but you you've um, you've kind of you've germinated the seed which which opens up it, it opens it up to a whole new uh feed source is really the way it works and uh, so yeah yeah it's it's it we do have grow lights in there some people some people i've talked to said that it doesn't change the nutrient profile any uh but hey i like green growth seeing green growth in the middle of the winter when it's 
dry outside and no, nothing's growing outside. So I didn't really see much green outside growing even during the growing season. <laughs> That's true. Very true. <laughs> I, I just like to see something green and growing. It doesn't really matter when or where it is anymore. That's right. That's right. Uh, so. I think the good news is, and I've been seeing this for long enough, I'm comfortable finally saying it. The Climate Prediction Center is saying that La Nina will go away in about two months. We'll start like the the Enso, the, the Pacific circulation pattern is supposed to break and go from the La Nina toward an El Nino, which given the pattern we're in, should mean that it's supposed to get a little more damp here. Yeah. So I... I'm not going to cross my fingers just yet, but I think there is drought relief coming our way this season, this year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we just, we just gained a three quarter inch yesterday here on the farm. So that was a big surprise. So every little helps. I don't even think I got enough to measure. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was, but it was super foggy all day. Like it was one of those days that I left the house and visibility was a quarter of a mile. And I've got to go up, I think it's like 220, 240 feet of, of elevation from my house out to the ranch in like eight miles. It doesn't sound like much, but I leave the house and I get up the top of Junk Pile Hill and the fog's even thicker. Like, okay, this is not good. Go down through Bear Creek and get up to the top of the next ridge and I couldn't see anything. Like... I mean, we're headlights on down to 35 mile an hour on a road that I drive three times a day or at least once a day, almost every day for a lot of years. Couldn't hardly see. I'm getting close down to the highway and I'm thinking like visibility is 500 feet. But okay. <laughs> so I've got this little, I've got this little trail that I use that, uh, it kind of connects to oil field lease roads. And it keeps me from having to make a, a left-hand corner out onto the highway and go a quarter mile down and turn into the yard. So I just thought, I'll just go ahead and I'll just take this take this cut off through the pasture. And I took it both ways. Um, I took it when I left, too. But then I got there and I jumped in the gator. And I'm going out trying to do my rounds. I, it's, it's not safe to be out on the highway when it's when it's that foggy, when you just can't see anything and it takes three times as long out in the pasture to get anything done. Cause you can't see. It's like, I'm out there acting like Ray Charles tapping around with a fence post in front of the gator to try to make sure I'm not getting ready to drive into something out looking for the cows. It's, drive over your cows. Yeah. Almost. So, uh, yeah, we didn't, uh, we worked in the office yesterday and, and watched it be foggy from the inside. It was uh, it was kind of nice. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you guys got some rain. You've caught a, I think you've caught a couple little showers that I haven't got too. Yeah, we had we had a little bit here in the last couple months, but uh, yeah, it'll be take a lot to get stuff growing in the spring. Definitely, I know we're gonna have that issue to deal with. Yeah, it, it's not a question of how much rain we need to get back to quote right or get back to you know normal. Uh, I mean, we're going to get what we're going to get. I just hope we get enough that, you know, we do have something green and growing in, in April and May. 
Yeah. 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 So you, did you, did I hear you correctly that you actually have expanded your cow herd this year? Yes. Yes. Well, we, we bought in a, a young bull from back East. Um, and, uh, and then of course the hauling, we had to pay hauling and they said they have a couple heifers. So we bought a couple heifers that were closer to the hundred percent, uh, profile, like the, the Dutch belted, we, we have the Dutch belted dairy cows and they, there's a big dairy in Pennsylvania. It's called Dutch Meadows. If anybody wants to look it up there, they've, they've got a family of farms where we've been, we've been back and forth. We've, we bought a bull from them and, and uh, they've, they've uh, done some business with us too. So uh, yeah, we've just, we've just been, uh, been keeping all the heifers here the last couple of years because supply wasn't keeping up with demand here on the farm for our uh, retail business on farm uh, store here. And so we were keeping all the heifers and of course we, we keep all the steers as well. And pretty soon we got way more calves than we know what to do with <laughs> because we kept all the rest. So, uh, we just been we've just been keeping them and and uh, milking more. We've uh, we hit 40, 40 cows this this fall, uh, and that's been the highest since we we cut off the milk truck uh, about six years ago. So uh, it's been it's been oh well, it's been good, but you re we've realized one of our limiting factors is land. Uh, just because we're a grazing dairy farm, one of the biggest limitations is you, you, you're walking the cows to a dairy barn and uh, you can't just uh, walk the cows down the road to another uh, pasture every day. So yeah, that's, that's, that's the thing we talk about a lot is, so how do we keep um, the, the cow herd growing with the land acres we have. So anyway, we continually talk about that. So. And that's, it, I think that's something that is probably that a lot of people need to be thinking about is how do we do more on what we're already paying for without taking, without hurting our future, I guess, mm -hmm. without degrading the land base for future use. How do we get, you know, how can we get more from what we've got? And uh, Lloyd, I don't know about you, but um, since the last time we did one of these podcasts, the uh, the input section on my balance sheet, like the, all the all the costs for all the inputs for everything, um, it looks horrible. And yeah, I don't very much. And those costs, those inputs aren't going to be, you know, I don't think they're going to come down a whole lot anytime in the near future. Um, yeah. So what are, what are some ways you've managed to do more with less? <laughs> well, you you get my mind spinning when you ask that question, because we have all sorts of ideas and things going on. And, and uh, yeah, we're uh, just like the coffee drink we, we did. The value adding has been one of the biggest successes for us is, is, is making products out of uh, ingredient that we produce like milk. Um, there's, 
there's just, we live in a convenient society where everything's convenient for everybody. And, you know, most of us farmers don't think about that when we're producing stuff. We're trying to produce uh, often a commodity with volume. And, you know, like, like, just like you said, a grass-based dairy with limited acreage, you have to be creative. You have to find your niche. You have to be able to figure out, you know, what are people uh, buying? What's the current, you know, market uh, that's available? You know, uh, how can you solve the people's problem uh, that they're having with food? And so we've, we've just been, been really uh, doing value-added things like our cheese is probably one of our biggest uh, sectors of our value-adding enterprises. Um, I mean, we do like one of the one of the kids started a little chocolate milk business, and that has just been taken off tremendously. You know, putting it in putting it in small, convenient, you know, uh, twelve-ounce bottles is is something we never thought we'd do. Like. Who, who can't just take a, a gallon of milk home and make some chocolate milk, but that's not, that isn't the, 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 the modern uh, consumer, you know, uh, they want something that's fast, convenient, and ready to go. And, and uh, you know, they don't have to store it. They can, they can just uh, drink it and they're done with the product. And so Putting it in, in, in manageable use containers is a thing we've, we've really started doing. You know, we'd never sell milk less than a half a gallon. Now we're selling milk in 12 ounce containers that people grab and, and just drink on the way. Um, just, just crazy things like that. You wouldn't think about it until you see the margins on those things. It's just like, you know, people will look at a gallon of milk and think of the price at the store, but they'll never hesitate to look at the price at a convenience store for a little bottle of chocolate milk. So, I mean, human psychology is always interesting to me how, how that all works. Um, and, you know, we're all, we all fall prey to it. It's not, it's not like them out there. I do the same thing, but sometimes we forget about that when we're producing food or, or farming, uh, it's just part of it. And so, you know, the chocolate milk thing, the uh, eggnog, you know, making eggnog, you know, making ice cream uh, and, and putting it in small containers. I mean, we all know that when you, when you have a organic grass fed and, and organic ingredients without preservatives, it makes, it makes for a, a higher price product, but People, people don't think about it when they get those small containers of ice cream and, and uh, single serving cups. It's, it's, it's a completely different product. And, and that's, you know, packaging is, is, is so huge. You know, the looks of it, the way, the way people use it. I know there's a lot of industry, food industries out there that, that will, will uh, it, change the the size of a package by one ounce or something you know just for various reasons <laughs> and so yeah value adding is definitely something we've we've really gone down but uh on the on the as far as farmland side 
uh, on the farm acreage. So yeah, you can't make more acreage, but you can do more with the acreages you have. And so um, there's a guy that, that helped me kind of understand how, how often uh, farmland is just considered as, as production acreage. And in reality, there's so much more. You have, you have your production and then you have your, uh, your experiences that you have on the land and, uh, and then your education, uh, things like that. And so we've, we've branched out into some, some uh, experiences on the farm. Um, we've, we've been doing uh, parking RVs on the farm for a while now, several years. I think we're going on the third year now. And uh, that's been really good. You know, people love to come out on the farm, see what's going on, escape the crazy urban life. Is that and, uh, and Harvest Host? Yes, Harvest Host is, a, is that. And that, that, that program is just a, um, they, they can park for free, but then they're um, expected to, to buy from you, from whatever you sell. So they park for one night. You don't have to provide anything for them, just a parking spot. They'll be gone the next morning. And uh, yeah, they usually, we, we've got an average of about, oh, $60 uh on an average sale that we get from them so i mean it's it does help out on the on the farm definitely and we've had a lot of repeats uh coming back and and of course most of those travelers have a great social media following where where they'll uh they'll do a good good advertising for you so some have got pretty good sized youtube channels and and uh and you get exposure that way. Um, the thing we're we're working on this winter and uh, planning to try to have it open by the spring here, March sometime is a is a Airbnb on the farm. So we have an old uh, barn we redid, and uh, we we're putting in a in a small Airbnb apartment there, and uh, so we're. We're coming along on it and we've got a the loft up up on top where we can do some events if we want to and um, we had a had a fall fest here in uh, October where um, one evening people came out we had uh, chili cinnamon rolls and and of course a whole bunch of cheese and we had <laughs> You know, if you go somewhere else in the world and you put chili on your cinnamon roll, they look at you really weird. <laughs> well, I would. <laughs> really? You didn't you didn't grow up with that? Like that was No, I put everything else in my chili, but not cinnamon rolls. Maybe that was just around here. I, I, I've heard of it. I've I'm not that guy either. I don't like don't put sweet stuff in my chili. That's that's not cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'll put pickles and onions and everything else in it, but pickles, no sweet really? stuff. Oh yeah, like canned uh, pickles, like your garlic dill pickles. Yeah, yeah my kids. Yeah, my kids think I'm crazy, but it's good. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
So, yeah. I, yeah. Maybe I'll give that a try sometime. There's there's plenty of chili gets consumed in this house in the winter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're just looking at, at, you know, creative ways to utilize the farm and, and, uh, keep, keep the farm viable. Uh, we've got five kids and, and there's things that they, they can do on the farm that, that doesn't have to be just straight production. I mean, we all get tired of doing chores every day for 10 years of our childhood. And, and, uh, you know, we have this idea that we rather not just uh, try to push them away from the farm because they're tired of it, but keep creative things going on where where they're still excited and connected to it. And, you know, like this, this farm fest, you know, they could have their friends over and help serve, serve food or whatever and, and have a fun time as well and make good memories. So, yeah, things like that we keep in our thoughts. Very cool. Very cool. But, um, have you done any soil testing in the last year or any, like any monitoring on your pastures? I have not. Uh, we've, we've gained some soil from our neighbors. Uh, we haven't tested that yet, but we've had quite a bit of wind here in the fall and, and even through the summer uh, that we've, dust storms have been pretty normal and but yeah keeping i keeping residue on the on the surface has definitely been a challenge this this past season uh i haven't tested tested any soil for a while uh i used to do more of a input system where it used to be farmland that that we had here and uh so we, we kept kind of the soil testing going as we were, we kind of were planting cover crops as we transitioned away from, um, from the crop, crop land acres into more perennial pasture. And then after we started planting more perennials, we, we kind of phased the soil testing and, and uh, things out. Uh, I did one, oh, just, just to do a check on, on, on uh and i don't have it in front of me i don't remember exactly what i saw i know the organic matter went up some uh, as far as how much i don't remember but it was it was all plowed very high tilled ground before we started grazing the cattle so yeah okay you know, you're uh you were talking earlier about, you know, the value adds and the chocolate milk. And I remember a couple of years ago when we started coming up to your store and, you know, we, uh, okay. So what's a gallon of milk today? So gallon milk, we sell it for $12, $12. And then one of those little coffee drinks in an 11 ounce jar is $11. <laughs> I imagine you sell the heck out of chocolate milk in those 11 ounce glass bottles and you probably can charge whatever you want and people pay it. Yeah. Yeah. The funniest thing is that, that I always, I always just, just can't get over is like, you know, yeah, our milk is, is higher than, than 
conventional milk or grocery store milk and yeah and people will come in there and it's like oh my goodness you know the price of milk and and uh, that's just way too expensive but then they'll buy chocolate milk and that's even you know that's double <laughs> but it's in a smaller container it's not by the gallon of course but anyway we'll we'll add chocolate to it for you <laughs> so oh um eggs you know i okay I haven't gone to the store in quite a while, but I've seen this on social media. I've been seeing it for the last a week or 10 days or so about eggs. Like eggs are now suddenly hard to find in the grocery store. And when they can find them, prices are high. They're really high. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I, I remember back to the start of COVID when everybody everybody decided they were going to get chickens right everybody got chickens started covid and everybody was giving away eggs mm -hmm. and then uh 2021 and 22 now my wife tanya and some other folks were like hey look quit selling your eggs for a dollar you are not doing anybody any favors by selling your eggs for a dollar or even two dollars mm -hmm. it probably cost four bucks a dozen to get your eggs so at least sell them for that or give them away. And then all the uproar. Oh, $4 a dozen. That's way too much. I can go to the grocery store and pay $2 a dozen for eggs. No, $4 is what they should be costing at minimum. I think I said that within the last year, like eggs at $4 are not expensive. That's just what they should cost. And now it seems like you couldn't you couldn't even get close to eggs for four bucks at the grocery store is that right yeah very much so and if you can find them uh, i was talking to someone here last week that uh went to three of the the big stores in wichita and they were out of eggs like costco uh whole foods they didn't have any eggs and we've been we've been you know we we've got a small flock of pasture chickens and we had a lot of eggs, you know, going into the fall and, you know, we're sold out. Uh, it's just, you know, we, we, we have the pastured eggs we get, uh, we're at $7 and, you know, I know that a lot of the, the eggs in the store just, just escalated. The price has just escalated like crazy. And I, I just heard, heard yesterday that, uh, how many million chickens, uh, that got uh you know the avian influenza you know that that had to be put down and, and you know things like that happen with with the system we're in the let, let's stay there for a second that bird flu like it seems like that was that was 18 months ago or or am i or am i not remembering that right well, it's been going on for quite a while. Uh, I, I don't know all the details from it. I just know from what I've heard that that there were there were a lot of flocks being uh, being hit with it. Um, yeah, this is when this is where like somebody like Joe Rogan that has a Jamie that can do all this research and pull it up makes sense. I it doesn't seem like this is a thing that's just happened like over the last couple of weeks. It seems like 
the event that's triggered like the, the quote egg shortage or high egg prices in the store, it seems like that was several like months and months and months ago. And maybe there were some warnings about it. I guess what I'm trying to say is it just seems like this is like the supply chain is, is catching up. Like, you know, it was a couple months ago, the bird flu happened. We had a cold birds and there were warnings like, okay, eggs might be in short supply. And people were like, Oh no, there's no problem with eggs because the warehouses were still getting cleaned out. And now the warehouses are mm-hmm. empty. There's no production to refill them. Now there's an egg. Short. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard to get, get, uh, uh egg production up this time of the year especially you know shorter days and of course most 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 of the egg egg production facilities you know are all artificial light anyway but but they just turn the lights on a little bit longer yeah yeah so but yeah it is definitely a problem that that we see we've got people stopping in that never stop in just looking for eggs like no we don't have any i mean we do have you know, every day we get some, but you know, it's not like we have a stock of them. So after the born Traeger family eats their eggs, there might be a few left in the store for tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Understandable. Totally understandable. Um, let's see. So what, uh, you got any other big plans for 2023? Well, um, the first thing that we're going to, that we're thinking of, we're, we're heading to on a vacation. Uh, we're going to, going to be traveling to, uh, Southern California on the beach in March. Uh, we, we do try to do a family trip every once in a while. And, uh, We'll be we did it here about five years ago we we traveled out there on the amtrak train and so we're kids are all excited about that and and uh yeah i'm too uh all farmers need to leave the farm one time or another get a little break but uh as far as uh plans on the farm uh we're just we've been we've been doing our our uh, dairy deliveries to to several different uh, areas, and that's been growing quite a bit. Uh, kind of following the convenience thing we talked about earlier. Uh, that's been that keeps growing. Uh, we keep talking about putting up a a new storefront on the farm here. Uh, we're trying to get a barn the barn kind of finalized before we do that um let's see what else can i suggest uh, a little bit bigger of a sign out by the road yeah (laughs) yeah i tell you we've been we've been talking about signs for a long time and and uh i i I keep getting told well we're selling all we have why do we need a bigger sign i was like yeah that's true because we (laughs) our our land butts up to the highway so we could put a sign out by the highway and uh and even have a little more exposure there but it's like wife keeps telling me uh uh well where are we gonna get some more milk from we we run out of milk so that's always the thing we keep talking about too so yeah bigger sign um 
more uh, more online presence, things like that is, is something we continue to, to work through. Um, yeah, just navigating the whole employee thing is, is another thing we're doing. Uh, we've, the last three years, we hired a, another employee every year. And uh, so this year, uh, we'll see. We'll see where we where we find ourselves here in the next couple of months in, in the business side. But uh, it's, employees, it's, it's, employees can be very expensive pets. They <laughs> yes, it's a whole new beast to to conquer. You know, being on a farm with with uh, with family. You know handed down from a family farm and you run it as a family farm. And all of a sudden you start doing all these crazy things. You start selling direct, you start value adding. And well, the one thing that needs to be added is people to make that work. And, and so it's not like adding another piece of machine. I'll just tell anybody that who's, who's, who's looking into it, but it, it, it definitely is a lot to learn. I'll, I'll tell you that. Um, just being able to, to manage, manage people, something that most farmers are not used to, much less just being around people. Um, so yeah, managing, managing people, managing the, the, the farm as a business. So people can be involved. Uh, you can't pay yourself. You won't pay your employees for sure. And being being ahead of the numbers because once you start having people involved everything speeds up it seems like you don't have a all the time to just think about it too long you kind of have to make a decision and and keep going uh but yeah it it's the the nice thing about it is that uh not every single thing depends on you you know as you kind of start handing stuff off it does make it easier for for uh, you and and the family to get away. Like the trip we're taking, uh, make it makes it a lot easier for that. Something like that, definitely. Um, but it's just a daily. You know, you're you're just deeply engaged in it every day, and and uh, yeah, your your brain is tired by the end of the day, and and uh, you're just yeah you've you realized how much you think in a in a business like we have i i often think of a you know the the, the princes the principles of soil health and how often to to, to make to make the, the the soil great to make the farms profitable and to keep uh the generations going you know we have to be centered around people and people skills are just something that most most farmers just have a hard time with, or or at least i have i i should admit that but uh there was this past summer we were gonna we were gonna be involved with a a farming conference about this very subject about building teams about uh having people involved on in the farm and things like that and it was it was planned at Joel Salatin's. It was plan, planned at Polyface, and we we had registered, and we were really excited about it. You know, learning from others about the people side of a farm business, and they could not get enough people to make it worthwhile to come together. 
And, and that just really opened my eyes to the reality of, of the situation we're in. Like, we really have a hard time uh, enjoying the people side of the business in farming. And um, yeah, I mean, it has, to, it has to be profitable and, and it's very easy to, for me to think often I could go get a different, different job and, and be involved with people and get paid more. But when it really comes down to the end of the day, it's like, I wouldn't want to trade, trade the food production you know, you're, you're making a difference on the land, you're making a difference in the people. And then even the people that come and help you, you're making a difference in. And so, you know, that's, that's really the fuel that, that, that keeps me going, even in the hard times. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Ties back with an earlier comment you made. That's probably the, that's probably the title of this episode, solving problems with food. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man, you'll never be done with that. No, that that's a big subject there. When you get into get into food systems and you know how to how to remain viable and and solve the problems that are at hand because there's big problems out there. You know, it's not it's not just it's not just. Uh, cheap food you know there's there's a whole lot of other things there's control there's you know government intervention and just tons of things that that we get to we get to solve as as these small scale food producers uh, so yeah the challenge will never end i guess well i okay so the the thing that popped into my head as you were talking was government subsidies. I know I don't really get any. I suspect you probably don't get a whole lot either being... No, I don't get a dollar from that. It, it seems like those of us that are, you know, doing grass-fed, direct-to-consumer, there just aren't any of those subsidy programs that that are really around to help keep us in business. Now, if you had a couple hundred acres of corn... And a confinement barn, there's all the programs in the world for you. But grass-based, direct-to-consumer, we're on our own, buddy. Like, we're 100% on our own. And it gets to be, sometimes I I get to a little bit disheartened, I suppose. When I start thinking about you know, the, the larger machine of the beef, of the production commodity beef industry, you know, feedlots and corn and distillers grains and, and how many times some of those subsidies like pass through the system or, or how many, or how many links in the system are dependent on those subsidies. And I compare yeah. that to with the, to my production cycle or to your production cycle. And it you said something about control and we're talking about solving problems with food and i think that there's a lot of government control that's exercised through the commodity programs through the subsidy programs and 
like without jumping completely off the reservation and getting in the, getting on a conspiracy train, it, no, there's not a grand conspiracy to ruin everybody's health. That's just what happened. Okay. Yeah. That's just how I, yeah. And, yeah. and, and I really, really enjoyed the perspective that Damian Mason, the last podcast came out on his perspective on, you know, on the idea of the, the, the business of ag and, and how that really, really was affected by, you know, the evolution of, of the, the, the agriculture era. I mean, things, things start with a, with a niche and you get, you go through the cycle becomes a norm and, and then the, the, you know, the margins go down. I mean, that's, that's kind of the cycle with, with all uh, innovation, it seems like. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, though this was several years ago and kind of an unrelated thing. Somebody asked me for some advice and I said, if you feel that, if you feel the pressure of competition, you need to find a niche in that business and go live in it and go own it and go make it your own. And when you feel the pressure in that niche, you need to start looking for another one. And to some extent, yeah, the niche does become the mainstream. I remember going to, um, let's see, let me think, King Ranch. King Ranch Symposium on the Future of Beef Marketing in the fall of 2019. Probably when the dreaded COVID was making its first rounds in the world. And I primarily went down there to listen to a presentation about, um, about beef chain, about tracing tracing animals using, you know, blockchain technologies and, you know, uh, blockchain cryptography, mm -hmm. high unique record to that, to that cow that, you know, can't, that can always be traced, you know, from in consumer all the way back to the person that had originally put the record in, in the pasture. Still working on that. Um, but I remember a, another presentation where they were saying that the grass-fed beef industry was growing at something like 13% per year. Wow. For for everybody around, I'll give you, I'll give you like I'll give you a really good rule of thumb rule here to go by. When something is growing at say 13%, so to figure out how long it's going to take that market to double, you take that percentage growth. And you divide, uh, you divide 70 by that number. So we can round up 13, we'll call it 14%, goes into 70, what, five times? 15, 26. Yeah. Yeah, 14 goes into yeah. 75 times. So if grass-fed beef is growing at 14% a year, that market doubles in five years. Mm -hmm. you know, 13 years doubles in six. If mm -hmm. it's 10%, it doubles in seven. So even though like a growth rate, yeah, 13%, that's, that's how it good. If we're looking at return on investment, 13%, I mean, that'd be really, really high. Um, but it, it's how long before grass fed becomes niche. I don't, I Man, I don't see that happening. Like in 
that's not a near-term thing. I don't think grass-fed becomes a niche in the near-term thing. Mm -hmm. Just because of the, the size of the industry, I think it's difficult to really wrap our heads around how big the beef industry is. Like, mm -hmm. just, just how ridiculously big it is. You milk 40 cows. I have 120. Like, mm -hmm. we're nothing. Like, we're not even a statistical, we're not even a tenth of a tenth of a tenth of a percent. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think of it like the, the, the parallel I think of is just like people living in the, in the rural areas and, and people living in the cities, just like, you know, feedlot beef and, and, and grass fed beef. I mean, there's, there's, there's so much more acreage, but a lot less cows like in, in a concentrated area. And so like if we're, if, if we're on a grass-based system, like I said earlier, there's a limited amount of acres where, where you can really, really expand. Um, and so it, it just has to be more right, widespread is, is really what, what it comes down to. Yeah. I think what I'd like to see, and this is, this is me dreaming, right? I'd like to see, you know, for the, you know, the three, four months that the grass is really good and animals are really, you know, really stacking on pounds. Mm -hmm. That's when we take all of our grass animals. Like that's, we take all the grass animals kind of late summer, early fall before the forage starts going too bad, before you have to start winter supplementing, yeah, or having to feed through two feet of snow. That's when we need to be taking a lot of our cattle off grass. That's when we need to be doing our, our, our big grass-fed harvest. And then, and then when the grass isn't good, when animals aren't finishing on grass, that's when, that's when they transition over and they start taking animals from the feedlots. Yeah, it, it's a real easy, nice, easy concept to talk about, but logistically, that's logistically, and to put that in practice, be pretty difficult i think yeah yeah it's hard to it's hard to turn a ship uh when when the ship's been been added to for for quite a while i mean it's pretty good size industry yeah and i got another interview um coming up I was already supposed to do it and you know, it was supposed to be next week's show with Mike Calicrate, but he had some personnel issues there just a few days before Christmas and uh, he ended up having to go drive a truck for a couple of days and we couldn't get an interview done. Um, I forgot where I was going with that, but uh, that he'll be, he'll be a good one to talk to about, you know, marketing and, and just the size and the scope of the industry. I mean, feedlots, Feedlots are not going to go away any time in our lifetime, I don't think. They might become a lot less important. They might change what they look like, but they're not going away. Yeah. And there's, even, even as fast as grass-fed is growing, no, we'll just leave it at that. I think, I mean, there's, there's going to be things that are changing, you know, in, in the cattle and the beef industry, um, in the near future, but I don't think it's going to be the massive widespread change that the animal rights activists wish it would be. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very likely. Very likely. Yeah. The one thing I'm, I'm just thinking of, of uh, you mentioned about uh, control. We talked about control governments and subsidies and, and that we're alone. The one thing that comes to my mind is after you said that was um, we think we're alone, uh, but there is a, a very large consumer base behind us that we often don't don't put on our side enough. You know, it, it really, it, 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 it's amazing to me how many, how many people want the stuff we have. Uh, and, and we, we, we might look to, to the farming industry to solve our problems instead of to the consumers to solve our problems. Like, just like I said, solving food with problem or solving problems with food, with food, is is just just as we're solving the the consumer's problem of, of a of a healthy food whether it's it's for convenience whether it's for for just health or whatever uh they're solving a big problem we have you know of keeping the farm viable keeping it keeping it uh attractive for for other generations to come and for the for the soil you know when we're talking about the soil you know we need to have, we need to have income generating enterprises so we can keep going. And not putting all those quote eggs in one basket, not relying on one single enterprise to make everything work. Well, I guess, you, you know, dairy cows, Yeah, but it's the different yeah. products. It's not just milk. It's the milk. Yeah. It's the value. Yeah. Added. Right, right. Every every um, enterprise or whatever, there's there's a whole lot of things you can do within an enterprise to keep it diversified and you know keep it from becoming one eight, all your eggs in one basket. Uh, we've been on the on the on the side of too much, where there's just you have too many enterprises on a too small scale. Uh, where you can't manage them very well and they're not profitable either. I mean, they ha- there has to be some amount of scale in order to, to stay viable. It doesn't have to be huge to start with. I mean, everybody needs to learn. I'm all about starting something from a small idea and growing it into a bigger one. But having 100 small ideas going and not having any one doing well I'm, I'm all about having something done well and and diversifying within that and and being creative on 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 either marketing or processing or partnering with with others uh on on different different single end enterprises so i think i think we often if we're if we're looking on a business scale we often look at it as too much as the more we can do, the better. Well, sometimes less is more when we're when we're doing what we can do well and let others do what they can do well. Uh, but not not at all. I am that is not saying I'm advocating for a for a a, a five thousand cow dairy and, and all confinement operation selling all your milk to a co-op that that uh, markets all the milk for for their own good 
So, well, um, anyway. so uh, several years ago, okay, several years ago, 40 years ago, back in 1980, just after my parents moved back to this part of the world, uh, the community got together and made a history book. And I, I guess it, it was a thing like in the late, late seventies, early eighties that, that, that happened in a lot of areas, a lot of counties made a history book. And I spent some time over the holidays looking through it and it goes through, you know, the history of all the towns and, you know, when, when things were settled and it also kind of gives a snapshot of what businesses are like, of what businesses are in, you know, in that area in that late 1979, early 1980 timeframe. And without, without my notes, of course, going off memory, there was, uh, in, in the beginning of 1980, there were something like four or five dairies in Barber County. Currently there are zero. Um, but in 1980, there were five dairies and the price of milk, I think was $12 a hundred. Does that sound right? Uh, in 1980. Yeah. Yeah. That could be right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, uh, do you have any idea what the, like what the retail price of milk is now? So, uh, I mean, it really varies from store to store and depends if it's, you know, full I mean, I, or, not retail, I'm yeah. sorry, like farm price. Oh, farm price. Yeah. Uh, well, for, for the time that we were shipping milk on the truck, we, in that time area, uh, growing up, I mean, I was, I was born in the, in the early eighties. And so, I remember the nineties when there was times it dropped to, to $9, I think it was seven or $9 a hundred was the lowest. I remember it, it'd go up to 12, 15. And then in, in, you know, two thousands, we saw, um, up to 20, a couple times that dropped back, back down to, to 15. And, and, and there was, there was, you know, later, I think the highest that we received here uh, was was like twenty four, if I remember right, uh, and it, that was just you know one of those rare instances. Um, and so, yeah, like you're saying, twelve dollars and and you know up to to twenty, you know the things that the price the prices you see otherwise have, have changed dramatically in, in comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, um, I've got a few other things to do today, Lloyd, and I imagine sure. you too. Uh, unless you got anything else on your list, I think we can, we can go ahead and wrap I up. Think, I don't think I have. I've, uh, yeah, it's been good and enjoy, enjoy listening to your podcast. It's been great. I enjoy you and I enjoy coming up to your store. I I even enjoy I even enjoy those overpriced bottles of cold brew coffee <laughs> with real cream in them. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> They're called maple cold brew. That I was just trying to think of the name. They're called maple cold brew. They have the real maple syrup from my from my uh, cousin's farm in Indiana. So yep. 
there's usually two bottles of that that come home every time that we make a run to Born Traegers. Yeah. We, we try to send two bottles back every time, too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, we've, we've, had, we've had people uh, that think those bottles are so cute because the, the lids have the plaid coloring on it. And there's, there's been people that's like, oh, we just, you know, they want to drink it, but they want, the, they want to keep the bottle, too. It's like, oh, I guess we're selling bottles, too. So we'll do that. Yeah, and that's... And people don't consider that that bottle, what that bottle actually costs. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'll bring it back. I'll even, I, I usually even try to rinse it out before I bring it back. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> well, they, they will get washed out either way. So. All right. Well, great to see you, Lloyd. Sure. Enjoy the rest of your week. Gang, y'all have a great week, too. All right. Thank you, Brian. See you, Lloyd. Bye.